0: Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's Word and His presence to change your life. I'm really glad you're here. My name is Keith. I'm the campus pastor. So glad you've joined us today, especially if it's your first time. Um, just sit back and, and hang out and uh, just receive what the Lord has for you today. If you have your Bible, we'll open up to 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to dive into a, uh, a pretty interesting portion of scripture here. 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, just to give you a little bit of background on where we've been as a church and what we've been going after. Um, two weeks ago, Braden preached on uh, a message called Beholding Jesus. and about, He was talking about looking at Jesus, letting Jesus actually transform us, letting his grace get in us, um, knowing that he's the only one who can actually make us new. And I just want to start off by saying that to you today. Jesus is the only one who can transform you. Jesus is the only one who can change you. Jesus is the only one who can make you new. Not in your best effort on your best day can you actually change yourself. Oh, come on, I'm one, I need some more amens than that. I know it's not that encouraging. It actually is, though. Even on your best day, in the best mood, in the best effort you can give, it still is not good enough to transform you because we don't get transformed by our own effort and by our own work. We get transformed by one person, and his name is Jesus. He's the one, he is the one who makes us new. What we've been seeing in Scripture is that, and and we're actually diving into the miracles of Elisha, and what we find in, in, in the miracles of Elisha is that they actually point to the person of Jesus. They actually point to who he is, how he acts, what he does. They point to the grace of God, the new covenant, the finished work of the cross. We're going to be seeing that, that today, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, so let's just jump into Scripture, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 19 says this. One day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord, they said. This town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad, And the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. You know, when we dive into the Old Testament and Old Testament stories, um, you have to admit they're pretty fascinating, aren't they? They're pretty entertaining. Um, you, 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 can, you can go throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, and you can kind of, in a lot of ways, you can place yourself into the story. There's a lot that we learn from the Old Testament. There's a lot of ways we can kind of, you know, the, the typical David and Goliath story, we're David, we face our giants, it, it matches perfect, it makes great sermons, and that's all really, really good, and it's all really, really God. But I don't know if you've ever been in church long enough and you've had this thought. How, how does the Old Testament, how do the stories, how do they really apply to my life? What's the role of the Old Testament in the life of a New Covenant believer? What impact is the Old Testament supposed to have? Um, You really begin to have these thoughts when you start to understand the difference between the law and grace. When you begin to understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You you have these thoughts, okay, I live in the New Covenant, I live under grace, I live in Jesus and with Jesus. So what's the point of the Old Testament again? there, in there in a scripture that says he fulfilled the law and the prophets? Well, guess what the Old Testament is? It's the law and it's the prophets. So Jesus fulfilled it. So does that mean we just hang out in the New Testament? Like what, what, what do we do with this over here? Let's just all be really, really honest. You would rather, you would rather read the book of John than the book of Leviticus. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> there... there there seems to be this dynamic, okay, God, what, what are you doing in the Old Testament? What role does it actually play? What is the point? And I want to let you know today that the point is simple. The point of the Old Testament is Jesus. The point of the Old Testament is hidden within the stories. There is actually revelation pointing to one person, the Savior of the world. It's actually pointing to Jesus. It, it, everything that we read in Scripture, believe it or not, it's about Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, you're going to see this today. You say, "Well, well, why, why is that? What's what's the point? Why why, why does it point to Jesus? Well, because Jesus is the point." Well, that was real deep. I'm going to hold on for a second. <clears throat> He's the point. I've heard it said this way: the Old Testament is Jesus concealed the new testament is jesus revealed. As we've been diving into this these stories and this message, I I was asking the Lord, okay, you know, what what do we get out of this like like it's it's great. It's it's great to, that the bible points to Jesus. Cool. Makes me want to read the old testament a little bit more. Cool. But like like what 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 what's really happening here when we Look at the Old Testament. We find Jesus in the story. What, what's happening? I, I need to know more, Lord. And he gave me this vision. And I began to see um, these, these, these sheets kind of falling down from the, from the sky. Or I don't know where it was. It, you know how you kind of see things, and it's just kind of weird. It's almost like a Kleenex, like a thin layer. It was falling, and here came another one. They began to stack on one another. And what the Lord began to show me, is that whenever you begin to to find Jesus in every story you read, he begins to stack up his story in you. The truth of him, the truth of his grace... The truth of the new covenant, the truth of the finished work of the cross, the truth that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, the truth in that you're a son and you're a daughter and that you belong to him. All of a sudden here comes another layer and another layer and another layer and another layer. And you know what happens? Truth gets so big on the inside of you that you actually begin to live in it. See, you can open up the New Testament and you can read, it's by grace I've been saved, not by works alone so that no man can boast. You know the scripture, you can quote it, you believe it. You can read you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Cool, says it, it's just point blank, it says it, I, I receive it. I Layer, layer, layer. Oh, but when you start, to re, you start to see it in the Old Testament, you start to see Jesus everywhere, it, the best way I can describe it to you is there's a whole nother dimension of Jesus that opens up to you. A whole nother dimension in a whole nother reality. It's not that you didn't believe before, it's that now you really, really, really believe. And then you get another story and then you really, 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 really believe. And then you get another one and just add a really. Like, I didn't get that. That was really funny to me, all right? This is what's happening on the inside of you. Does that make sense? So today as we look through Scripture, and we see Jesus in the story, the point is this, you get another layer of truth and another layer of belief added to you. Now, here's what's amazing about that. Anybody in here ever struggled with slipping back into performance for God? Nobody, just me? Okay, let's put your hands down. Let me ask the question again. Anybody ever slip into performance with God before? Okay, there we go. Isn't that that crazy how fast we can slip into, into performance? Anybody ever felt shame before, guilt, condemnation? It's there, right? Isn't it frustrating sometimes when you find yourself living in the law and you realize you stepped out of grace? You were living in the finished work of the cross. You were believing in Jesus. And all of a sudden, you're over here trying to work it, trying to deserve it, trying to earn it, trying to get after it in your own power. And you've slipped back into performance. Hear me today. The more layers you add to your soul, the less likely you will be to step into performance. The more layers you add, the less likely you are to live in shame. The more layers of truth and belief and looking at Jesus, the more layers you add, the least likely you are to feel condemnation and guilt, may I dare say it, at all. That's how good he is. That's how good Jesus is in our life. So I want to pray and ask the Lord just to kind of open up this revelation to us today. Lord, we come to you right now and we (laughs) don't have words. (laughs) We don't have words for your grace and we don't really have words for how good you are. But I pray that, like um, Paul prayed, that we would understand the the breadth, the height, the depth, the, the length of your love. That supernaturally you would impart your grace and what it means to live in the fullness of grace. And yeah, Lord, we, we just uh, we open up our hearts to receive what you have today in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Um, sorry, I always ask questions, and I always want you to raise your hand. Just, it's just going to be the way that it is. Raise your hand if you've ever been pulled over before. Okay, for first and second service, that equals 100%, all right? <laughs> How many of you got a ticket when you got pulled over? How many of you got the beloved warning? So y'all must be the pretty people out there. That's what y'all are. Yeah, you got that warning. Anybody got a warning and you deserved to get the ticket? Like you straight up broke the law bad and somehow, somehow you got out of that speeding ticket with a warning. Um, I, I, and just about a month ago, we were driving back from the mountains with a with a couple of guys and we were... We were snowboarding up there, and, and if you're wondering, does that guy ever work or does he just snowboard? The answer is he just snowboards, all right? So, um, but we were coming back, and, and I get pulled over in New Mexico, of course. I have more tickets and been pulled over more times in New Mexico than I have in, the, in, in, the, in Texas. It's just like, it's, it's dumb, all right? And so I, I get pulled over, and the guy, two state troopers walk up behind me, and they say, Sir, you were speeding. And I said, go on. <laughs> he said, you were going 82 in a 55. And I was like, oh crap. Does that mean that I go to jail? <laughs> and he, he said, you're going 82 in a 55. And I was like, sir, I was like, I'm sorry, but there's no way I was going 82 miles an hour. I said, you, it, it was the truck ahead of me. I locked onto him, but it was a truck ahead of me. And I, I began to like, hey, I, this this isn't true. And he's like, well, we clocked another number, but you were still speeding. Can I see your insurance? And at this point, I'm like, I haven't been pulled over in a long time. And it just does something to you, right? I'm just shaking. And my, I'm like, where's my phone for my insurance? And I'm like, I got the electronic one now, so I can't reach in the glove box. I'm like... Well, crap, I, I don't even know what insurance I got. Is it Progressive State Farm? Don't know. Don't even know how to find it. And I'm just looking, the guy's like, is he looking through his photos right now? What's going on? And I'm trying to find the, the, the insurance. And I, I hand it over to him. In like almost less than 10 seconds, he hands me my phone back and says, hey, today we're just gonna give you a warning. You guys can go ahead and get out of here. And it, it was so unexpected that I just kind of sat there and I'm like, Are you are you are you sure? (laughs) Like, I just kind of stopped for a second, and Chandler was with me, and we had another guy, and we were like, they were super quiet, and then when he said that, they kind of looked at me, and I'm like, don't say don't say anything, just we're just gonna pull off real slow, and it but it was so unexpected, and it and it didn't make sense. You know what I've learned about the grace of God is it doesn't make sense. It's unexpected. It, it's a thing that you can't almost put words to. You see, like, we all know what it's like to deserve punishment and not get it. There's been all been moments in our life where we deserved to, to, to take the judgment. We, we deserve to take the speeding ticket. We deserve to pay the fine. And then when we got that warning, it was so, it didn't make sense to us. We were thankful for it. That is a great picture of what the grace of God does for us it is undeserved, it is bogus, it's scandalous, it doesn't make sense, it, you think as, as a, here's what we do as Christians, you know what? We, we want to take the punishment because it feels wrong to get out so easily. Oh, come on, I'm preaching now, are you ready? If you don't believe in grace, you're either going to leave or you're going to start believing. <laughs> it is that good. Come on, I said it's that good. The grace of God does not make sense because it's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to make faith. When you experience the grace, when you experience Jesus Himself, you realize oh my goodness, this is just, I I do not deserve what I'm getting. Because what I deserve is I deserve the judgment. We, we as, I'll go back to that. We as believers, we, we want the judgment. We want, we, we kind of, what we would like to do is we'd like to work ourselves out of our chains. We want to we do some work. We want to put some effort. You know, if, if, someone, if someone does something wrong to you, come on, let's just be honest. We all want them to feel it for a while, don't we? Like, why don't you just stay over there for a week feeling bad about what you did to me? So we take that concept and we put it on God. And we think he's like us. And we think that when we mess up, he's sitting there like, why don't y'all just hang around in that sin and that mistake and some shame for a little bit? Because if you really really had some feelings and you really love me, you would feel bad. Religion, law. He's so good, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know, the, the, what he's actually saying there is, is you're going to mess up. Why would he have Paul tell you there's no condemnation if there wasn't a chance for it? Oh, y'all aren't amen to me enough, but I'm about to start Stephen Furtick preaching on y'all. How, how the, the, the reason it's in there is because we slip back into it. And we, we want to prove to ourselves that we love him and that he loves us. We want to give him a reason we want to take some hammers and we want to take some chainsaws and we want to go to work on those chains. We want to take some paper towels and get a mop and we want to clean up the mess that we left behind. And Jesus says, Hey, that's my job, not yours. Well, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. I know. My grace doesn't make sense. My grace is so much better than you could ever think, so much better than you could ever imagine. I'm Jesus, and I'm way better than you think that I am. I know you love me, but I'm even better. I'm even, I love you so much. I was listening to an old message from Judah Smith back in the day when he was releasing a revelation of grace that was absolutely incredible. And he said, the challenge of the believer and the challenge of the Christian is not to live out and do the works. The greatest challenge is for you to actually believe the gospel. Our greatest challenge is not executing. Our greatest challenge is actually believing. The greatest challenge is not is not." trying to fulfill the destiny on our life and the call on our life and all the pressure we put on ourselves and trying not to cuss and trying not to flip people off in in traffic and trying to be patient and trying to actually be nice to our wife and trying to actually respect our husband. That's where we get the ch- that's actually not the challenge. The challenge is you actually believing the gospel. That Jesus can transform you into respecting your husband. That when you look at Jesus, he'll make you more kind. That when you look at the grace of God, you'll be more forgiving. You'll, 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 you'll be more kind to people. You'll see them a different way. We we that doesn't make sense to us. How could that be? I'll tell you how it could be. It's not supposed to make sense. it is the easiest thing and the hardest thing to do all at the same time. (laughs) The grace of God, it will blow your mind. We actually see how grace is, so does it make sense. We see it in the story of Elisha. In verse 20, Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. Just to recap for just a moment. Remember, they were in Jericho. The water was bad. The spring was bad. And it was making people unfruitful and the land unfruitful. And he said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water. And he threw, threw the salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. Now, here he goes and throws salt into the spring. Um, The salt is not what cured the water. It 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 was the fact that he released a word, and it was the blessing that he gave. So in the story we see that salt must have represented something. It symbolized something. If you look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do you know what salt actually represents? It represents Jesus. Salt symbolizes grace here we had a town that was unfruitful in so many ways the spring was bad the spring was impure and in 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 symbolism here comes Elisha and he throws salt into it as if to say when Jesus enters into the situation everything is purified and everything changes What's interesting about the story is that many believe the spring was salty. The fact that it was unfruitful, making people sick, they believe that, that, it, that there were minerals in it. It was salty water. So when you think about this, think about watching Elisha, number one, it's weird enough that he's doing what he's doing. It's hard enough to believe, I'm not taking the first drink, I can tell you that much. It's hard enough to believe what he's doing, and then everyone in the town knows that it's salty water. That's the problem, and then he goes and throws more salt into it. What's the Lord saying? The Lord's saying Jesus in grace doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It, it, It exists outside of the realm of your thinking. I don't know if you remember, uh, sin in my, and it isn't in my notes, but you remember when uh, Paul, he prayed that we would, we would learn to know and understand the breadth, the height, the depth, and the love of Jesus? Two lines later, he says, we can't understand it. I pray that you would understand it. And then he goes into, there's no way you can understand it. That's grace. I pray, I pray you understand it, but there's no way you can. It has to get Here. It has to get in here. And I want to ask you the question, is, is the grace of God in his message, it is Jesus, are there layers of his truth? Are they getting in? You say, how do I know? Here's how you'll know. You'll know that grace got in if grace comes out. You will know that grace got in if grace got, comes out. You say, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, if you find yourself giving grace to people Without really thinking about it, you know something's happened. You know grace got in. You know another layer got added. You know that Jesus actually is beginning to transform who you are, how you think. And all of a sudden, without, without thinking about stopping your anger, you have no anger. Oh, come on. Without, without thinking about, oh, I need the fruit of peace. The Holy Spirit gives fruit. I need the fruit. I need to practice peace, 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 peace. No, no. And, and you're thinking about it like, okay, peace. Peace. That's how many of us live our life. And it's a step and it's a journey. No no condemnation. But when grace gets in, you'll find yourself in a situation and you'll have peace and you'll almost turn inward and go, who the flip are you? Grace got in. New covenant. The fullness, the, the finished work of the cross got in. Who you are in him. Hear me today, your effort stinks and so does mine. Your best thoughts, your best motives are not good enough. He's good enough. He's better. He's better than your best thought. He's better than your best action. It it can't get you anywhere in the kingdom. You say that doesn't make sense. I know. Jesus doesn't make sense. Jesus is crazy. He's unbelievable. Have you ever been in a a situation? How many of you have been in some situations where you did not want to give grace? Someone stabbed you in the back. Someone talked bad about you, told a lie about you, spread the lie to other people. Now they're believing the lie about you. Someone didn't come through. Someone in the church hurt you. Someone was just flat out mean rude. Someone didn't think about you. Someone didn't invite you. Every person in here today, guess what? We've all been hurt by someone. No one is excluded from that statement. We've all been hurt. And in those moments, guess what doesn't make sense? Grace, it doesn't make sense. But something comes out of you and you show the love of God. It doesn't mean you approve it, it doesn't mean that you condone the sinning. It means that you've been so loved. You can't help but love that person. You know what I want in my church? I want people to feel that they're loved. You know what the world needs in in, in the identity crisis we find ourselves in? They need need to know that their butt is welcome in the chair because the grace of God resides here. You know who they need? Jesus. You know who's going to bring it to them? Us. Us. We got to be careful, church. We got to be careful, believer. Quit getting so judgmental. And I'm going to throw myself in the mix because we are, we are in a place where we are, we are not even close to the aisle. There is the far right and there is the far left. And I'm, I'm, I am all for, 100% for, standing for righteousness and truth. But scripture is very clear. Speak the truth in love. You want to move them? Love them. You want them to cross over into grace and into truth? Love them. Show them that grace. Don't judge them. Get down in the dirt and just start drawing around and then look up at the people who are accusing and say, who, if you haven't sinned, why don't you throw the first stone? This is Jesus. This is grace. Yeah, yeah, but they don't deserve it. They need to know they're wrong. I understand that. Yeah, but you don't, you don't deserve what you have either. You better thank God that you know and you have the revelation and the knowledge and you're living in it right now. And it's only by his grace that you are. We are not that smart. And this is in no way a message to disempower you. This is a message to empower you. Because it's the grace of God that actually empowers you to live the way you really want to live. I remember <clears throat> not too long ago, my middle son, Stratton, he's just turned seven yesterday and he came down. This has happened a handful of times. We put him to bed, prayed. Um, I, I came down to, and was sitting in the living room and all of a sudden he comes down the stairs and comes into the living room with tears in his eyes and he begins to confess uh, a mistake that he's made. And um, <clears throat> I, he begins to tell me, He begins to tell me how he had been at a friend's house. They were playing on a a, a game on the iPad. And and in the middle of the game, ad pops up. And it's one of those ads that's a role play ad for a role play game. And in the ad, there's a woman in the shower and the window is fogged up. And you can take your finger and unfog it. This is what we have to deal with now with our six-year-olds. He's sitting there as a child and quite frankly, is a victim. Pray. And he comes down with tears in his eyes and repentance in his heart. And he begins to tell me what he did. And in a moment where as a dad, you wonder, what do I do? Do I need to lay the wood so he knows it was wrong? Do I need to do, what, what do I need to do in this moment, God? I want to do the right thing, and I want him to know it was wrong. But in his face, and in his, I could see his heart was wide open. Oh, he knew he messed up. It was the Holy Spirit that led him to come and tell Dad. And in that moment, all punishment and all judgment, it, it was erased because I saw, I saw the love of a child, and I saw the purity of a child, and in that moment, I said, hey, buddy, you're good. Hey, don't worry about that. You know what? You don't need to be looking at that stuff, and I don't want you to, but you know what you did? Here's what you did. You, you, you have such a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. He convicted you, and you came running to dad. Way to go. That's it. That's it. And you know what he hasn't learned? He hasn't learned the judgment of God. He's learned the goodness of God. It was the grace of God that led him to dad. And it was grace that caught him. How many of us, when we mess up and when we make a mistake, we run to dad. We run to father God. And you know what we're expecting? The same thing my seven-year-old was, punishment. I'm going to get a lashing. He's going to remove his voice. He's going to remove his blessing. We think really crazy things as Christians. Some of it's us, some of it's the enemy. But in our head, we will even think, if I, if I, when I go to him and when I confess this sin, he'll probably even take away my spiritual gift. He'll stop using me. He'll stop using me to influence people. He's going to run far away. And what we lack in that moment is just an understanding of the love and the grace of God. When you run to Him, when you run to Him, He's ready to receive you. When you run to Him and you reach out and turn, touch the hem of His garment, He doesn't keep walking, He turns around. He turns around. this changes everything. This is what transforms us. You're going to have moments as a believer where you're not going to want to give grace. And in the moment, all of a sudden, you'll, you'll feel this. Hey, extend grace. As a dad, you're going to have moments where you say, you know what? On this one, You get grace. I'm going to whoop you next time, but this time. Be moments. It wouldn't surprise me if 100% of us in here have a situation right now that you need to extend grace to. You hadn't got the promotion yet, You you seem overlooked some of you actually even need to extend grace to yourself. Jesus is reaching out to you today. I'll close with this. When you do a, some further research of this story of Elisha's miracle, <clears throat> you realize that the land of Jericho, it was actually cursed by Joshua. In um, Joshua Joshua 626, it says At that time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath: Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations, at the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. The land was cursed. The reason the water was unfruitful and bad to drink is because there was a curse. Until, until Jesus entered the equation. You were under a curse, the curse of sin and death. Until Jesus. Come on, I said until Jesus. And he came in and he flipped and changed us. And he saved us. And he loved us and he transformed us, and we became a new creature in Christ Jesus. And here, look at what verse 22, uh, back to the story, 2 Kings 2, 22, it said, and the water has remained pure ever since. It remained pure. Hear me today, the moment you accepted Jesus, you, were, you have remained pure. Because it was never up to you to begin with. It was never about your works to begin with. It was all about him and his supernatural, scandalous, loving grace that came into your life that did not make sense. And he just went, yeah, I know you're really, really messed up right now. And boom, here's some salt in your water. You'll be pure forever. You know more right now than you did then. And he saved you then. this is the gospel. (laughs) There's a reason it's called good news, (laughs) because it don't make sense and it don't seem like it's the right answer. But it's very, very true, and it completely changes your world, and it will completely change your life. Thanks again for listening today.